0: And good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. The Supreme Court uh, wrapped up its term this week with several highly anticipated decisions. Uh, in a 6-3 ruling yesterday, the court struck down the use of affirmative action in college admissions. Uh, this, is, this is a long time in coming. I, the first uh, significant uh, uh, Supreme Court case dealing with affirmative action goes back, to, I think, to 1978 with the Bakke decision. So this has been something that has been a, a legal Uh, debate for a long time. And we also had yesterday um, a ruling 9-zip in favor of a postal worker who was forced to work on Sundays. To help us orient to these decisions, I've asked uh, John Zarnetsky, Chief Executive Officer and Dean of the Alvin Maria School of Law to join us uh, John has been with us before. He also serves as legal advisor to the Holy See's mission to the United Nations, represents the Holy See in negotiations, including establishing the International Criminal Court and several international treaties, including one on the rights of persons with disabilities. Dean Zarnetsky is a lay member of the Dominican Order and a third-degree Knight of Columbus. John, good to have you back here. Thanks.
1: Al, it's always my privilege to, to be with you. I always enjoy our conversations.
0: Well, so do I. Let's talk about uh, let's talk about the nine to zero decision first. This uh, Groff versus DeJoy decision. Uh, It's rare, a a religious. Well, actually, maybe it's not so rare on a religious liberty case to see this kind of unanimity. But uh, why don't you set this one up for us?
1: Yes, and um, Al, I confess, as a uh, dean, I don't have the chances I used to have to follow these cases, you know, as they work their way through the courts. So when I heard it was a 9-0 decision, I knew generally what the case was about. I was surprised.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I think
1: you're right. I, I haven't toted up the decisions, but I think on a religious liberty case that gets to the Supreme Court, 9-0 is, is pretty rare. Yeah. Um, but then having read the case, I see why okay. uh, it's 9-0. So just to orient it, as you said, uh, this was a case where a man was a U.S. Postal Service worker. And, of course, the Postal Service, um, old enough to remember, didn't used to deliver or have any uh, activities on Sundays. This man is an evangelical Christian. He, uh, from all accounts and the courts, found that he takes his religious uh, duties and uh, his religious faith seriously. So it was no problem. He didn't have to deliver mail on Sundays. That's what I'm trying to spit out. Uh, But a few years ago, maybe more than just a few, Amazon, uh, the corporation, entered into an agreement with the Postal Service where the Postal Service would assist Amazon in delivering packages on Sundays. I think it's good for the Postal Service and certainly good for Amazon, but it left this uh, Mr. Goff in kind of a difficult situation. He was now expected, and the, the case actually goes through all the details. It's not germane to our discussion, um, he was expected at least occasionally to work on Sundays as part of his duties. And he said, I'm sorry, it's it's my Sabbath. And uh he was able to avoid confrontation for a while by transferring to a smaller post office that wasn't yet delivering on Sundays, but as these things happen, eventually Amazon started delivering through that post office, too. Mm-hmm. So the issue was joined. He was disciplined increasingly, strictly, and eventually he simply resigned uh, because it became, I think, apparent that he was going to be fired for okay. not delivering mail on Sundays. So um, the issue was, which which wins? His religious liberty um, to... Not uh, uh, have to work on the Sabbath uh, versus his employer, in this case the U.S. government, uh, their right to have employees work um, at their discretion. Now, this had
0: had been looked at before, though, hadn't it?
1: Well, not with this particular
0: case, but I mean.
1: Yes, and let me sort of focus in and not to get too deep in the weeds. But this really is not a case that was des- decided using the Constitution. This is an interpretation of Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 1964. Okay. So this is not a constitutional case. Interesting. It's, okay. it's an interpretation of a statute. Now, the statute was passed. Uh, to uh, vindicate and protect civil rights of Americans, obviously, but it's important for your audience, I think, to have in perspective. This is the Supreme Court interpreting a statute. Okay. Um, and... Uh, so yes, uh, Al. Of course, you're, you're you're a student. I've learned of uh, law, and uh, they've the Supreme Court has had cases under Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 1964, in particular concerning religion, in the past. So what the court did here was very simply say, uh, simply but importantly say, you know what? Uh, courts have not, and including us, we have not applied. The proper test for whether or not employers are complying with this Civil Rights Act. Um, so it's a sort of a technical ruling with tremendous import. Uh, before, let me just jump to the to the jump, cut to the chase. Before, all an employer had to show was that granting an accommodation of somebody's religious faith would cause something more than just a de minimis impact on the business. That's not a very high standard now, of course. It's fairly trivial? Fairly trivial. All the employer had to show was, if we grant this employee their accommodation, it's going to be something other than just trivial cost to us. Mm -hmm. And so it's not surprising under that test (laughs) uh, in the courts below of course the Postal Service won. They they, they said, look, it's more it's non trivial for us to have other employees working on Sunday. It creates resentment. You know, it it's extra cost to do the scheduling. In other words, they were arguably at least able to show more than a day minimis impact mm-hmm. on the postal service if they accommodated Mr. Goff. Now what the court did here was say you know what, that standard is not high enough, uh, that the standard should be, and this is Justice Alito, another great justice, writing the opinion, but it was unanimous, as you said. Now the test is an employer must show that there will be substantial increased costs in connection with the conduct of its particular business. I'm actually. I actually read that, just to be precise. Yeah. Substantial increased cost in relation to the conduct of its particular business, and they went a little bit further. Justice Alito, he made clear, people that so let's say the colleagues in this post office say, well, we've got to work on Sunday because this guy has a religious scruple against working on Sunday. Well, we resent that the the court made clear that the resentments or the anti-religious beliefs of fellow employees um are not a legitimate basis for arguing increased costs i think that's an important yeah. issue that maybe hasn't gotten a lot of play no yeah, uh, so it's it's no longer Something other than trivial costs. They must show substantial increased costs that impact the conduct of business, and it can't be anti-religious resentment or or feelings of people or the employer. Yeah. So anyway, sorry I'm being long-winded. No, no, it's very good. Very
0: clear. Very clear. Um,
1: and uh, so it's an interpretation of a statute. The court, interestingly, in the case— Remanded the case to lower courts. The, the Supreme Court often does that, to say, okay, we've changed the standard, and we have the facts that you, the courts found before, but we don't know, you know, how to apply those facts to the new standard we set. So, you all now, you know, lower court, trial court, you know what our standard is now. So tell us, based on the facts that you found, whether or not the standard is met. So that's where the case stands
0: now. Okay, so it's been remanded back to the lower court.
1: Yes. Okay.
0: And um, off the top of your head, do you know when that might come up again uh, for decision by the you know, court? I
1: I, I am not in a position to predict that yeah. for you. Okay. So I, you know, obviously they'll take it up asap, and lower courts tend not to take the summer off like the Supreme Court does, ah, okay. but. Uh, and that's not me being insulting but, <laughs> but uh, so i don't know when a final decision will when they'll get a final decision yeah. on that um often there'll be a settlement al once the supreme court sets the road the the rules of the road clearly they'll okay. often settle the case
0: okay um the it was pointed out by many that you had uh, all all the justices here so you had the so-called conservatives and the so-called liberal justices uh, agreeing um, do you know if there was any—were um, there, were there competing rationales for this? Um,
1: uh, there, there didn't seem to be, okay. which is heartening. Yeah, um, it's yeah. heartening that across sort of different ideologies, different jurisprudential approaches, the justices uh, seem to all embrace the idea that if we're going to burden religion, even in an employment context— that there ought to be a higher standard than simply, well, it has some trivial impact. Yeah. So that is heartening. Two of the justices, I think it was Justice Sotomayor wrote, and she was joined by Justice Jackson, wrote separately just on an issue that the court didn't opine on one way or another, the majority, um, they they pointed out that if uh, accommodating, an employee's religious uh, practices or beliefs would be a violation of a collective bargaining agreement, that in their opinion, that would be a substantial cost to the business.
0: Oh, and so they they
1: wanted a right to make that. And that's interesting. That's a very yeah. interesting point. Yeah. Um, But it's not a holding of the court. The court left that issue, in in my opinion, they left that issue for another day. But they they wrote to say, hey, here's what we think about that. Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah. Very good. Well, uh, we're going to have to take a break in just a moment here, uh, but we'll come back and we'll pick up uh, yesterday's affirmative action uh, decision. Uh, This was uh, U.S. Supreme Court uh, rejected the use of race as a factor in college admissions, Uh, Looks like they regard it as a violation of the 14th Amendment's Equal Protection Clause. Uh, This has been something... uh, The debate over affirmative action has gone on. The first big case, I guess, was 1978 with the Bakke decision. So this is a long-standing debate in American law. We're going to come back with Dean Zarnetsky from the Ave Maria School of Law and take a look at this uh, affirmative action decision. I'm Al Cresta. And good afternoon, I'm Al Cresta. In a much-anticipated decision, the Supreme Court yesterday uh, seems to have outlawed the use of race as a factor in college admissions. Uh, the reaction to the decision, of course, is split between those who view the Supreme Court ruling as a loss of opportunities for minorities, particularly black applicants, and those who think it might finally usher in the conditions for true equality. To so help us understand the scope of this decision and its mechanics, uh, we've got the dean of the Ave Maria School of Law, John Zarnetsky, with us. And John, uh, is how big a decision is this affirmative action decision?
1: Well, Al, my uh, answer to that is colored by the uh, fact that I've spent the last 30 years uh, in legal education and therefore in higher education. So uh, this is in uh, my bailiwick. It's in, it affects my vocation. I think it's an absolutely monumental decision. Okay, That's what... and, I, and I think it's a monumental decision despite the fact that I'm a little bit biased on that. I think it truly is objectively a very, very important decision.
0: Well, this affirmative action has been, you know, one of the uh, most uh, intense uh, public debates uh, in America over this last generation. And, uh, and it's certainly been so in the legal academy as well. Uh, set it up for us, the origin of uh, affirmative action policies. What does it go back to?
1: Um, Al, you, you in your opening comments, laid the groundwork very well. Uh, very briefly, you and I have talked about it before. The Bakke decision in 1978, the U.S. Supreme Court was faced with the issue of to what extent can a uh, university, in that case it was California Berkeley, prov- and it was their medical school, provide uh, um can uh, make admissions decisions based in part or even in whole on race. Uh, The plaintiff in that case, uh, Bakke, was a white male. He claimed, and the evidence seemed to show, that his uh, qualifications were better than some of the persons that were admitted to the uh, Cal uh, Medical School, and he was not. He was denied admissions. Mm -hmm. The Supreme Court in that case held that uh, they were very clear, and they've never backed off this, that schools uh, were not are not permitted to use quotas. They're not permitted to have racial quotas. But in that case, they said that race could be a plus factor in okay. uh, the decision to admit somebody. Um, all things being equal, race could be a plus factor, just like, oh, you know, anything in somebody's background could be a plus factor. hmm Um, And that case is also famous, and it was a point of a lot of discussion in the most recent case, because Justice Powell, uh, trying to bring different groups together within the court, uh, said in a, I believe it was a concurring opinion, uh, it was the first time the court used the word diversity, Mm. that diversity of class, uh, in a classroom, having a diverse student body uh is a legitimate educational value. Mm-hmm. Um so in a med school having a diverse class is mm-hmm. a good thing. And um so that quickly became well quickly over the past 40 years, 45 years uh think about the word diversity today and how much we use it. <laughs> it was yeah. not used yeah. before 1978. Well wow. over in during and so 78 is when I went to college. So during my adult life, the term has become more and more important. And the last 20 years or so, it's been very important in higher education.
0: Yeah. I mean, most universities Uh, and colleges actually present diversity as one of their favorite features. Uh, You know, the the way they present themselves in college, uh, uh, university uh, uh, catalogs and brochures, diversity is always mentioned. Yeah
1: the question always has been though in the pursuit of diversity can we make choices based on people's race yeah. Yeah. and the obstacle uh, that's been asserted for that is simply the fourteenth amendment which says that uh, no person in the united states in part it says uh, shall be denied equal protection of law and the supreme court has been very clear both before and after bachy that uh, part of what that very important post civil war clause means of the Fourteenth Amendment is that we, in handing in the government making decisions, we cannot except in very 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 limited situations, make distinctions among persons based solely on race mm-hmm. so you have these two things clashing uh the idea that having diversity in a in a college or a law school or uh, educational environment is a good thing but how do we achieve diversity without making distinctions based on race or or can we do that is this one of the areas where the 14th amendment would permit one of the very limited areas where would permit making distinctions based on race and if so why Mm -hmm. so that's what we've been talking about for almost 50 years yeah
0: yeah and then there's here in ann Arbor. There were big decisions back in 2003 uh, dealing with uh, affirmative action, the uh, Grotz decision, the Grutter decision. Uh, and in the Grotz decision, uh, they struck it down because they believed that the U of M point system was the functional equivalent of a racial quota. <laughs> so
1: <laughs> it's, That's right. It's just amazing. But in Grutter, yeah, in Grutter which was the law school, yeah. they upheld the law school's use of race, the University of Michigan Law School's use of race. And and Al, uh, by then I was a law professor. (laughs) I had been for nine years. I was on the admissions committee, Al, at the University of Mississippi. And uh, believe me, uh, both before and after the Grutter and Grotz cases, we were uh, very, everybody was. It's not just us, but everybody was very interested in those cases, and what do they mean? I think it 's fair, although the court doesn 't use this language Ju- Chief Justice roberts doesn 't use this language in his majority opinion, his opinion for the court. I think it 's fair to say that uh, but this is just my opinion that that this case really is overruling in large measure or maybe even completely um, the grutter case okay um, and, and the reasoning in the grutter case, so okay. um, you know. The one-sentence summary of the case is that. Um.
0: Is, so in what sense can... There's some, some question here about an applicant's referring to their own social history um, and that uh, perhaps uh, the racial setting uh, gave them opportunity to show... Particular characteristics that would be uh, put them in a more heroic light in the eyes of uh, admissions officers. Is there some way that, in telling the story of one's own life, you can mention race?
1: Well, uh, Chief Justice Roberts says in his opinion, right at the end, he says, "Well, of course, an applicant in their essays can mention." Uh, their their race and the way that th- that has affected their life story.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay,
1: and um, I, I'm going to have gentle, maybe more than gentle criticism of the court. Um, I think, of course, Chief Justice Roberts being fair and he's just stating a reasonable opinion. Sure, but a lot of really smart people are going to be reading these cases, and they read the Grutter case and they read the Bakke case. And whenever the court leaves. Little bit of a room to run with something, yeah, people pick up the ball and they run <laughs> okay and so i I'm not going to say it certainly you know i can 't read people's souls it, none of us can, but somebody who says to themselves and in is a position to do something about it, well, the court says it's it's unconstitutional to discern to make decisions based on race. I disagree i 'm going to make a decision based on race. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm concerned. We see it with Justice Powell mentioning diversity as a value. We see it with the Grutter case in some ways. We don't have to get in the weeds unless you want to. There were some openings that the court left in the Grutter case that people ran with. And some people suspect, and uh, Justice Thomas points out in this case, that there's some just statistical evidence basically every year uh, Harvard has within half a percentage point exactly the same percentage of certain minorities in their incoming class. <laughs> yeah, that's not a coincidence. No, right? That right. sure starts to look like a quota. Yep, is the implication. Yeah, and so when yes, Justice Chief Justice Roberts says something that's obvious, we we look at. And and this is true. This is what we do. We do look at people as persons at a Catholic law school like mine. That's mm-hmm. all we do is we look at the whole person. Sure. But somebody that is motivated solely based on race, um, that's an opening that, you know, now in admissions decisions, people can say, well, I read this is an African-American person. This is a Polish-American person. This is, you know, whatever the person is. Um, and you know that has affected their life, et cetera. Somebody that is ill-intended—that's mm-hmm. um, an opening for them. I'm not being very articulate, but that you know, I, I worry about that. We've yeah. seen that in other cases.
0: So, though people are saying that this m- may be the death knell of affirmative action policy, uh, are, are you're you're thinking that that? Uh, uh, Remark of uh, justice Roberts uh may well open the affirmative action door again in some other uh, subtle way uh it,
1: it, affirmative uh, illegal affirmative action yeah. Yeah. maybe I, you know i don't again i don't read people's souls sure but i, I it's it, it's an opening mm-hmm. um, look i i'll give you i'll just give you my framing of yeah. this Please do um, it, It's an important, and I, I believe I've got this right, and someone sur- surely will correct me if I'm wrong. The uni- when california uh, the state of California, as a number of states have, outlawed the use of affirmative action in their state university system, the number of minority candidate, uh, minority students in the University of California system went up. that's just a fact. it went up. Really? Uh, And in every category, every minority category. Now, where it went down was at the two flagship schools in California, University of California, Berkeley and University of California, Los Angeles. And so one way to understand what's going on here, and there's some discussion of this in the court's opinion, one way to understand what's going on is this isn't so much a problem uh, saying that you can't use affirmative action as it has been applied in the past uh, because the experience is this will actually benefit minority enrollment in schools that it's really an issue at the elite elite colleges Um, and, and, and there's a lot of discussion in the opinion you know and and we saw some prominent folks issue statements yesterday. Well, where are the leaders going to come from? Where are the, you know, leaders for out of minority communities going to come from? I heard somebody refer to that as well, it's either you go to Yale or you end up in jail. Yale or jail. <laughs> oh, uh, idea. Wow. And, and that's simply not the way America works no. in my opinion. Right. I'm expressing an opinion. Yeah. That's not the way America works. Uh We have great leaders from all. You are not the destiny. uh, Your destiny is not set completely based on what school you went to in college. We can name all kinds of uh, examples where that's not true in America. um, Does it help to go to Yale or do Harvard and Yale have their, you know, these elite schools? Do they provide uh, benefit? Of course, but it is not your destiny. Anyway, I'm expressing a personal opinion there.
0: No, I I think that this is, again, this is, I'm hoping, going to be an uh, occasion for more uh, straightforward discussion uh, in the future. And the the merit, it's, it's got to be frustrating for uh, those who uh, want a merit-based admissions policy. Uh, it must be difficult for them when they suspect that they were passed over. And even for those who are brought into, on the base of affirmative action, they have to have doubts themselves about whether, in fact, they were chosen for their race. So it seems every, everybody loses, it looks to me, here. So, But I like this decision.
1: It's an acid, it's an acid that corrodes our solidarity yeah, now, is what I, it boils down to.
0: Well said. Dean, thanks so much. Great talking with you.
1: My pleasure. Thank you.